Let us turn to Revelation 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until you put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and standing before the throne and before the land. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in the land, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the land. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. They fell down on their faces before the throne worship, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know, he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits in the throne will shelter them from the presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, for the Lamb at the centre of he will lead them to spring over the river, and God will wipe away every tears from their eyes. Let me pray to start off, and then we'll get into a really interesting passage, I think. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather today. Um, we pray that all the time when we're here, but today we feel it especially just because it's been so long. Uh, we thank you that we a reminder today, especially that we're still a church and that we're united in Christ, uh, whether we're here or whether we're at home on Zoom. Um, we ask, Lord, that you'll uh, bless us today as we attend the service, reveal to us more of who you are, and help us to see the future that you've got planned for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll probably remember uh, Revelation starting to get pretty crazy as Steve last week spoke on the seven seals. So he covered the first six seals. Um, so when you get to today, you might expect us to hit the seventh seal, but we don't. Instead, John starts off by 
saying, after this I saw. And you don't get much chronology or orders of things in time in Revelation. So it's hard to tell what comes first, what's happening at the same time, um, um, or if they're happening completely out of order. So the line after this is probably not telling us about when in the order of history things are happening. Um, it's not saying that after the six seals you get this, but it's saying that uh, this is the next thing that John saw. And in the sequence of this book, it's really important. Jesus is showing us something really important to know before we hit the seventh seal. So John and us, we're meant to pay attention to what we're seeing today, especially. Because as the seals open and you see the events of the final days being unleashed, um, I think Steve phrased it as the characteristics of the last days, um, we take a little pause. So we see the first four seals, which brought us what we commonly call the four horsemen, uh, war, famine, death. Now we open the fifth seal and we see the saints under the altar crying out for justice. How long, O Lord, until you set things right? And then the sixth seal showed us the unravelling of creation. So mountains crumbled, stars fell, and the skies rolled back as a scroll. Symbolically, we sit right here experiencing the characteristics of the last days, of the six seals, but we're not yet at the end. We're not yet at the seventh seal. So this message is really important to us today because we all live in the last days where the first six seals are frightening and the seventh seal is yet to come. And I think that's why Jesus gives us this interlude before the seventh seal. He gives us a bit of a breather and a bit of perspective on what's really happening. So we begin with this foreboding picture. The world is symbolised, I guess, like uh, four compass points. So if you stretch it as far north and as far east and south and west, as you can imagine, in those four corners, you see four angels. In my mind, they're like giant angels. The passage doesn't tell us that. I imagine they're uh, and they're standing at the edge of the world, holding back the four winds. So it's kind of like Earth is surrounded by these scorching winds and on the edge of engulfing the land and the sea and everything in it, every nook and cranny of the Earth. And presumably somewhere in that middle part, you and I are there, waiting for these four winds to come. It could be that the four winds are the four horses that we saw last week. So one thing that Steve didn't mention in the Q&A but that he remembered afterwards was that the picture of the four horsemen comes from uh, prophecy in Zechariah 6. And in that prophecy, it talks about four chariots coming out of heaven, four horses, chariots with horses coming out of heaven, red, black, uh, white and spotted. And in that same prophecy, it de describes these chariots as four winds from heaven. And I think that's probably the right way to understand the winds here. The winds are the four horsemen that we saw in the first four seals. And so this takes us back in time, this particular vision that John seen takes us back in time to an unknown time before the seals were opened, before the last days began. So these four winds, these four horsemen are being held back for now, but they're ready to let, they're, they're ready to go. But a fifth angel coming up from the east 
commands them to hold the winds a little while longer until a seal is placed on the forehead of God's servants. You can't possibly read the word seal in this chapter without thinking of the seals in the previous two chapters, right? Especially the first time we see the seals in chapter 5, where John weeps because no one is worthy to open the seals uh, that God put on the scroll. No one, that is, until the lamb that looks like he was slain triumphed over them. There's a number of Bible passages that talk about sealing God's people, uh, but I think the most important thing to see and to realise today is the, the context of the, just the previous couple of chapters. Uh, no one can unseal what God has sealed, except the Lamb. So if God seals people, his servants, who can take his sealed servants and harm them? Not the angels in the four corners of the earth, not the winds that they hold back, not the angel rising out of the east, not the devil, no one. Because the Lamb won't allow it. So long before the six seals on the scroll were opened and long before the four horsemen were released, God's sealed servants were protected from harm. And that's spirit-lifting news for his servants living through the last days. And so the obvious question is, who are these servants? And does it include us? We start to see the answer in verses 4 to 8. So John hears the number of the sealed. It's the 12 tribes of Israel, 144,000 altogether. 12,000 from each of, the, of each, of the, each of the tribes. So 12, the number of political integrity, as Steve mentioned, times 12. And then times 10, a number just symbolising a great number, a multitude, times 10, times 10 again. I think the picture becomes clear. Not one person out of Israel is left out, is left unsealed. God's doing something on a national scale. So the sealed ones are all of Israel. But then does that include us? Are we part of the 144,000? It's interesting that in some ways it's kind of a small number. The number of Israelites that came out of Egypt in the Exodus was already 600,000. And that's just men, so not including women and children, and probably not including elderly men or really young men. And then add all the Israelites that there would have been from the time of Moses to the time of John, and we maybe get a bit of a sad picture. Like, actually, the people of God are relatively few. Abraham was meant to have descendants that were as numerous as the stars in the sky. But it seems like not everyone that was descended from Israel are Israel. Then in verse 9 it says, But I looked, after this I looked, sorry. And you might remember this pattern um, from twice before. He hears one thing and he turns around to see something more magnificent and more unexpected. So chapter 1, he hears a voice like a trumpet, but he turns to see a really indescribable picture of Jesus. Chapter 5, he hears a lion that is able to open the seals, but he turns to see that that lion is at the same time a lamb that looks like it's nearly dead, but it's mightier than any other creature in creation, and it's equal to God. 
So Hugh, here's the number, 144,000. Every member of every tribe of Israel sealed and saved. But he turns around and he sees something more magnificent and more unexpected. He doesn't just see 12 times 12,000 Israelite faces, but he sees the reality of it. He sees faces from every nation, every tribe, every people group, and every language. So he sees Aussies, he sees Chinese and Nigerians, and he sees people speaking Chilean and Swedish and Italian, and he sees tall people and short people and medium people, and he sees light people and dark people and in-between people. Not just the 12 tribes, but every single nation, every single tribe, and every single people group, and every single language. Not just 144,000, which was sadly a bit small, but a number that you can't count. And maybe, maybe that's us in there too. God is doing something on a global scale. This picture, I think, is unique in history. If you imagine reading every book that there is covering the recorded history of humanity, what would you, in the end, see? I think, ultimately, you'd see a nation fighting against another nation. You'll see wars and bloodshed and inequality between rich and poor. And you'll see a person against another person. One person steals food from another, one lies to another. God is doing something global in scale that despite our best efforts, we've never been able to do. He's bringing together all of humanity as one people. And look at what they do when this happens. Verse 10, they will praise God and the Lamb for their salvation. They worship. The thing we innately do as humans, we worship all sorts of things. But actually, in this time when God gathers us, we'll actually worship the right thing and in the right way. But that's not the end of it. Verse 11, what God does for humanity triggers something on a universal scale. All the angels, all the elders, all the living creatures fall down and worship as well. Verse 12, they understand that God is worthy of all praise and it will be universally declared. So we get to verse 13, and the elder asks a a lingering question. Who are these, and where did they come from? That's really the question we've been asking. Are we part of them? Who are they? We know that they are the 144,000 from Israel that God saved, which are really the countless people from all over the world that God saved. But that's not really the point of the question, I think. It's not that the elder doesn't know who they are. It's that it's a shock that they're standing there. Because no human can stand in God's presence. Do you remember the last verse of last week's passage? It says, For the great day of their, so that's the God and the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? And so in response to that, the kings call down mountains to fall on them, to hide them from the presence of God. But here in verse 9, a countless number stands freely before God's throne. They're not destroyed. They're not hiding. And so the elder asks, who are they? 
How can they be here? And John says, you know. And so verse 14, finally, we have described who they are, who they really are. The elder says, these are the ones that had to go through the great tribulation. And tribulation just means suffering. So those four winds, those four horsemen who scorched the earth, these are the ones that have made it through that without giving up their faith. In John's time, the Great Tribulation probably presented itself like the type of persecution you can't mistake. You'd be jailed, you'd be beaten, you'd be killed. And in parts of the world, like Muslim-majority countries today, as well as other places, that still seems to be the type of persecution people face. But in our part of the world, we're starting to get a bit of that suffering where the public voice of the Christian is not very welcome but not that much, not yet anyway. The type of tribulation that we get that's right on our doorstep is the type that gives you options in life, the type of suffering that gives you so much decadence that you stop even realising it's decadence anymore. It's the type that gives you unlimited freedoms. And it's as hard for a Christian to make it through this type of suffering as the other. The lure of making money trips us up as much as the lure of escaping persecution does. In that sense, they're not too different. But the ones that make it through, the ones that have held on to their faith, who continue to follow the Lamb, despite the suffering that the world throws at them, they're the ones who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb and stand before the throne. This isn't telling you to earn your salvation, like put it through, earn your salvation. Because it's actually the Lamb's blood that washes you clean. So what it's doing is encouraging you to hold on. Make it through, even if it's by the skin of your teeth. We'll all have different types and amounts of suffering, and I'm sure at times we'll all feel overwhelmed by the suffering. And some of us will probably make it through the suffering better than us. But we won't make it through stainless, none of us. But that's okay. Because it's the blood that makes your robes white. And there's a really nice confusion of images here. If you bathe a white robe in blood, it will definitely not be white afterwards. But the only way to have a white robe in the presence of God is to bathe it in the blood of the Lamb. It's the only thing that will clean our sin. It's the only thing that can clean any sin, no matter how ugly it is. So whatever you're wearing, however much sin you feel you've got on you, you'll become white. Just make it through the suffering. Just keep following. And finally, the question we've been asking, is that us in there? Are we part of the great multitude? Are we part of the 144? Are we one of God's sealed servants? Now we know the answer. It's definitely us. Because we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. What John sees in this vision is a vision of us. With all our brothers and sisters in Christ, across the world, across all time, there before the throne, in white robes, holding palm branches. 
church today, especially in COVID times, but even before COVID times, was a kind of weaker image of the picture of that day. Today, especially, we're small in number. Uh, we're united, but we're physically distanced. We worship, but without speaking. Um, it's not the, the picture that we get at the end of time, but it's still a really precious picture and a precious practice for us. We gather and we worship now like we will in the future if we stand through the tribulation of these last days. Your final destination is to be standing before the throne of God, a thing that no human's ever been able to do. And the last few verses tell us what it will be like. We'll go through it quickly. Verse 15, we'll serve him and he'll shelter us. Verse 16, we'll have our needs met and he'll protect us. Verse 17, this is all because the lamb is our shepherd. We won't want for a thing and we'll be cared for. So in the midst of opening the seals, in living in this time of the seals, in the middle of seeing suffering come upon the earth, Jesus gives us a much-needed interlude to tell us that we're safe because we're sealed. No one can break that seal. The whole world will face suffering in the last days. The whole world is facing suffering now. But Christians are promised to make it through it. Whatever your tribulation is now in this life, Whatever it might be, you might be tempted by work or money. You might be persecuted for your faith. You might be struggling with sexual sin. You might be laughed at because you're a Christian. Whatever tribulation you're going through, whatever it is that entices you to give up Jesus, this passage is an encouragement to keep standing through it. God promises you'll make it through. You might be scathed and beaten and battered, but you'll make it through and you'll be washed clean in the blood of the Lamb and you'll be standing before the throne of God in white robes. Let me pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for a message of encouragement and of endurance in tough times. Um, I guess in these times especially we feel the weight of the world, um, some more than others, um, but all of us feel it. I mean, thank you, Lord, that you call us to stay and that you promise that we'll make it through. You call us to stand. We ask, Lord, that we won't give up on your promise, um, that we'll trust in your seal that you've placed on us. And we ask, Lord, uh, that you'll keep us through to that last day when we get to stand uh, before your throne with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, with all of creation worshipping you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, um, yeah, it's time for some Q&A. I've got John up here with me. So um, feel free to fire your questions away on Zoom or on Padlet. Uh, so one's come through on Padlet. Uh, do you think the Great Tribulation refers to a specific suffering we'll go through or just general sufferings in life? 
Um, yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I think I think here the tribulation is talking about is a general suffering. So it's the suffering that the four horse. Well, actually, I guess it's not that general. It's the suffering that the four horsemen or the four winds will bring to the earth. Uh, and in that sense, as we heard last week in Steve's sermon, that's, a, that's just characteristic of the last days. So it happens. So it's all the suffering from the time that Jesus ascended to when Jesus returns. Uh, later on in Revelation, there are um, references to what seems like a more specific suffering. So uh, and I, think it's, I think it's called the tribulation as well. I use the same word. So I think though there are some more specific ones later on in the book, I think this one is the general suffering that we're going through from when Jesus ascended to Interesting. Hopefully that answers the question. Yeah, good question. I think uh, I had one question as well. I'm not sure if you touched on it from this day on the first way when he's talking about how the uh, angels and was like, don't harm the man or the sin. What, what, what is that about? Oh, yeah. uh, I don't think I actually touched on that. Um, but I think, and similar to the picture that we get from the previous chapter as well with the seals as they're opened, it's, it's not just a group of people that undergo this suffering. It's not just Christians or just non-Christians, but it's like every living thing on the planet and kind of the planet itself as well. Like there's like there's plagues as well as death, as well as wars. So the that general um, that general verse, don't harm the seed or the land or the trees. I think it's just a picture of um, that these winds are going to come through and scorch like everything. Nothing is going to be untouched by it. Not any particular human, and not even the land itself. So it's a yeah, it's just a big picture of destruction that's mm-hmm. coming. Uh, another one's for Padlet. Who are the elders? Oh, who are the elders? Good question. Um, so I think we first see the elders in chapter four or five, and there's really there's really two big possibilities for who the elders are. Uh, one very common one is that the elders are representative of the leaders of. Uh, Israel and the church, so the old covenant people and the new covenant people of God. So it's like 12, so the political integrity thing again, 12 plus 12. So like 12 uh, disciples, 12 um, tribes. And that's probably like the big common, that's probably the most common view on it. A second view, which is a, a bit less common, but which I think I, I'm leaning more and more towards as I go through Revelation is that the elders are just another, um, another uh, step in the hierarchy of angels. So when you see the throne of God, you've got the four living creatures right in the middle, and then you've got the elders, who we don't know who they are, and you've got all the other angels on the side. And then in this chapter, we get to see that um, every saved person is kind of in the great multitude. So it's not a separate group. So I feel like... It just makes most sense that it's just like the four creatures are like the top rung of the, these kind of celestial beings. The 24 elders are just the next step out, and then uh, you have all the other angels. And so I think I'm leaning more towards that one now. 
so that they're just another tier of because like John speaks to one of the elders now. So mm-hmm. one of the elders asks him the question, it's like, who are they? So if, like, if he was a Christian or if he was like, representing Christians, I guess he would be in that group maybe. So I th- I'm leaning more towards that. The elders are just angels, another step in the hierarchy. Okay. Alright, so another question on Padlet. Um, are these five angels the same angels that protect the seven churches? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. So each of the, uh, say in chapters two and three, or maybe uh, chapter one tells us that each each of the churches has an angel. Um, I don't think these are the same. Uh, uh, I don't think these are the same angels because the picture that we have is that the eight, these angels have been holding back the winds for kind of a long period of time. Like they've just been there, holding back, waiting for the day. And the fifth angel comes and says, a little bit longer, wait till it falls So I think they've got a different role than the angels that are looking after the churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really interesting question. I haven't thought of it. Why? Sure. I reckon they're separate angels. Okay. There's a lot of angels because you, you see, like, yeah. throughout Revelation, you'll see, like, great crowds of angels as well. So it's not like a small handful. It's mm-hmm. like, I don't know, thousands, tens of thousands, millions, maybe. Yeah. Know. Alright, so that answer. Uh, number one, so where does God's judgment come into play here? Are the people that come in great multitude from all nations, post-judgment or pre-judgment? So are the people that come in great multitude from all nations uh, in post-judgment or pre-judgment? Right, so I, I'm, I'm taking it as um, the judgment is like the final judgment of God. Like as in, like who returns and judges who's righteous and who's unrighteous. Mm-hmm. Um, so chronologically, I think um, Revelation's like giving us one picture of like everything. So it's kind of like we're kind of seeing a lot of things at once. So uh, this, I I think, is a uh, non-chronological picture of everyone. And the point of it's the point of it is to say that. Before any any judgment in the form of tribulation or this is touches the world, God's already protected his people and has already said they will make it through and they'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb. So I think if we're gonna try I put judgment I, I think the this passage doesn't want us that judgment, like where God decides the righteous and the unrighteous. I don't think this passage wants us to put that there. Yes, so that's the the saints under the altars are crying out for the judgment. So I think that's not that's not the yeah yeah. So the full number comes. Yeah, so I think that judgment um, that judgment's not in the picture here. So the, this isn't like before or after. It's kind of just a separate picture. Um, kind of saying that before that, that judgment happens, before tribulation comes, before all this, God's already chosen his people. Um, and I guess after judgment, there are no more new Christians. Like it's, it's kind of decided at that point. Yeah. So I guess that, that might be one marker. Like judgment okay. is definitely after in that sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, great question. I've yeah. never thought of that. Sure. Yeah, I can zoom. 
Yeah, very interesting questions. Uh, we'll probably give a couple more minutes for a few more to trickle in. That's it. Mate, I think that's it. Someone's already given us a thanks, John. Right. Great questions, guys. Oh, cool, jokes. One last one. We'll give it one last one. Um, is there a significance of this happening before opening the seventh seal? Yeah. yeah. I, I think so. So I think the, the picture that we get in the last chapter is like, is scary and it's, it's not a thing that you want to go into. Um, so we're kind of pushed into this picture of the end times that will be hard, it will be suffering, it will be worldwide kind of pain. Um, and I think this, this kind of sitting between the sixth and seventh seal is like a breather for God's people. It's like, oh, by the way, like, God, don't worry about this tribulation because God's actually going to protect you through all of this. So I think it's important. I think, like, last chapter we're meant to feel the fear of it, yeah. and then we're meant to be reminded now of the relief um, that only comes through the blood of the Lord. So... Uh, yeah, I think the significance is that in the midst of suffering, we're reminded of this. Yeah. So symbolically, we're in the midst of the six seals mm -hmm. and we're reminded of this in this time that we're actually in. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Thanks for great questions, guys.